Welcome to Black Motherhood, the podcast where we explore what it means to raise unapologetic Black children, whether you're a mother, an auntie, or part of the village that it takes to bring up a child. As a community, we unpick the challenges we face from colorism to gender stereotypes. It's about discussing the strategies that mothers and aunties around the world can adopt to ensure that we are raising our black children to be leaders in a society that may seem to be stacked up against them. This is Black Motherhood. Our topic for this week is a discussion on rediscovering African history, exploring representation in children's books. I'm very excited about our guest today. This is a topic that I'm particularly passionate about. Today we're chatting to Ekiwa Aire. Ekiwa is an award-winning author, born and raised in Benin City, Edo, Nigeria. She is passionate about sharing positive stories on African history with children. She lives with her husband and two daughters in Ontario, Canada. Welcome, Ekiwa. Thank you for having me, the both of you. You're very welcome. To kick off, we wanted to recognize that it has been a really tough year globally. Lots of people's lives have been impacted by the pandemic. With that in mind, before we begin our discussion, we just wanted to check in. How are you doing? How is Akiwa today? I am doing okay. Thank you for asking. (laughs) You're right. It has been a tough year in many ways. We lost a lot of people and... The last year just made me, I think, more reflective. I find myself asking myself what really matters, what more than I did before. I think before the whole world was running this rat race. And in spite of the outcomes in the last year that are not, not to be desired, it did make the whole world pause and reflect. And I think this extra step, as, as for me, it's resulted in me spending more time doing the things that truly matter at the end of the day. And so (laughs) in a nutshell, I am deeply saddened by some of the losses that we've experienced, but I am more reflective, filled with gratitude for each new day. And I'm living what I hope is a more mindful life coming out of the pandemic. I really appreciate what you say about being reflective. I think a lot of people have done that this year where you start asking yourself questions, you know, what is my purpose? What am I really passionate about? And it's good to hear that because I think it's been a really good time to really reflect as individuals globally. So yeah, I resonate with that. So just to kick off, you launched our Ancestries and I love it. I love that brand. I just love the name of it. It's well thought, well put together. You launched our Ancestries to bridge the gap between the truth of African history and the common understanding of it. Can you tell us about your journey to writing your own children's books and launching our ancestries? It has been an incredible journey. I started on this four, maybe five years ago. At the time, my kids were two and four. um, And I live in a predominantly white neighborhood and uh, social media is Eurocentric. And what I was trying to do was At the time, I was always looking for ways to offset the fact that we were minorities where we live. And so daily with my kids, I was reminding them of who they are to instill confidence. I monitored what they watched on TV. I bought strategic books. And it was here that I was on a roll. I was buying books that celebrated being Black, books on Black history. And when I started to look for books that celebrated African history or just being African, 
I was stumped. And like at this time, like I still am, I'm an Amazon queen. There's nothing that I cannot find on Amazon. And so I searched and I searched, I really could not believe that there was nothing at the time that shared African history for kids and taught kids of African descent to love who they were. That made me sad and I was determined to fix it. And the entrepreneur in me kicked in. I was like, oh my goodness, I found the gap in the market. And entrepreneurs love market gaps. And because I was doing this myself and I'm a teeny weeny perfectionist, I set out to create African centric books that I had never seen before in the market. I wanted to create beautiful books um, that celebrated our ancestors who I honor, who I happen to honor and cherish. And I have them in mind when I'm making my products, when I'm writing my books, when I'm marketing them. I think about the, their brand, what I, the way I want them to be remembered. What I really loved about your response there is the fact that you identified a gap and you fixed it. You know, quite often we tend to see a gap and all we do is complain about it. And for me, that's, that's, that really, really is powerful because looking at our kids now, and I've seen your books and I was showing my daughter your merchandise and she was like, I want all of them. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> and that's because they are beautiful. It's something that any kid, any kid would love to you know, identify with. And thank you for being a perfectionist because it does come through. It really does. Thank you. And my kids are my biggest critic. Uh, they, I, they are my focus group. And it does help that I have them. I'm actually trying to write as many books as I can while they're still interested in children's books so that I can continue to use them to create products and that they could use, that they could approve of. And I could be sure that, okay, these products, other kids will like them too. I think kids are definitely our best critics. They can be savage sometimes. If they don't like something, they will tell you they don't like it. And it helps us grow. Like it helps us create products that we know will resonate with them. And I think that's so important, the work that you're doing to fill that gap, the fact that you identified that gap. And I just applaud you for your work. In that vein, what kind of impact do you hope to have on children's lives through these books? Well, I, I think that bringing a fresh light, a fresh positive light to African history and culture would provide kids of African descent all over the world with a means to discover who their ancestors were. And I think an understanding of the past will make it easier to make sense of current events and situations. And we're going to create kids who, I guess, are have a stronger sense of identity. That said, I don't think that my books are only for kids of African descent. For kids that are not of African descent, learning about other cultures provides a way to celebrate differences, reduce biases, and even create global citizens in a world that is becoming increasingly more diverse. We celebrate all cultures in our home and we just happen to not have anything to be able to celebrate our own culture, which was sad, but now this has been fixed. And in all homes that like to celebrate all cultures, we've provided a means for them to do that. I like the saying that says, um, for you to know where you're going, you got to know where you're coming from. And knowing that our kids probably would have missed this opportunity is sad. And I just love that there is, a true opportunity for kids all over Africa to start now having a narrative of their, where they've come from, the ancestors and all that. And I think it's really, really powerful. 
So we're really interested to know about how you channel the voices of the of ancestors through your stories. Tell us about the creative process. How do you find these histories and recreate the narratives through your books? It might sound cliche, but I honestly I put myself in their shoes. Um, for my first book on Queen Edia, there was really nothing out there about her childhood. Um, we knew what she represented when she grew up. She was a warrior. She was extremely ambitious. She seemed to really want to be queen for some reason. She really wanted to be queen. She wanted her son to be king. She did lots of things to ensure that her son became a king. And in my first iteration of this book, I went into a lot of detail about what she did to get her son to be king. But it took me a while, I think two years, and I was working on this to come to the realization that the kids that I was writing to, my kids at their age, they were not quite interested in all of the things that she did as an adult. I had to bring it back and imagine what could have made this woman grow up to be who she became? What happened in her childhood? And I had to reimagine her childhood. And that's what I did. Her story is um, historical fiction. And I imagined that she had a dream as she was younger that told her that her son would be king. That makes lots of sense that when they get older and they're 16, 17, 18, and they're reading about what she did, this story would make some sense. It might not be true, but it could put two and two together for them. Same thing for Queen Ijinga, who her brother called in to help negotiate with the Portuguese because he couldn't speak Portuguese enough. What could have happened in her childhood to have made her um, such a fluent Portuguese speaker? So I imagined her in her childhood learning Portuguese from the missionaries. With Ishinga, it was true, she did learn Portuguese from the, uh, from the missionaries. But I sort of tried to weave in what would make today's kids interested and weave that in with what they did growing up, why we should remember them. It is not easy to do. It's like a puzzle. And I mule on it for a long time. But when I have it, I have it. And I'm like, yes, my kids would like this. Kids would like this. And with my stories, I am extremely biased. These people are perfect in my stories. They could do no wrong because there's a whole wide world out there tarnishing the African legends and our African heroes. And my stories are really balancing what they're going to see on the other end of the spectrum. Hmm. So if I, if I can just follow up on that, how did you feel for you being able to bring these ancestral stories to life? Because I mean, what you've mentioned there it's such a thorough creative process and it's long as well you mentioned two years so how did you feel it feels really gives me a huge sense of accomplishment it makes me quite proud when i'm when i'm done with it and to for people to get it the reviews that i've gotten from my books there i read every single one and i people get it i'm like oh wow i'm actually a creative side note i wrote when i was a kid who didn't write the the dark um thoughtful poems as teenagers <laughs> but i never quite saw myself as a creative i am in it i'm into data i love data by the way and so when people get it when i create something like this and people get it it makes me feel like oh wow i am actually a real life artist and i'm doing this it makes me quite proud 
You are an award-winning artist for that matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are a true creative. And I feel like everyone has a little budding creative person within that's waiting to kind of come out. So, you know, if you're listening, you might be the next I creative. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I think what you were saying there is so true around countering the narratives that we get from society about Africa, about people of African descent, you know, from my perspective, I similarly grew up in a white majority area and didn't have access to books or anything that I could relate with. And I feel like having these kind of stories for me would have been such a great escape and a reassurance that no, actually my history is powerful. I can see the beauty in my history and whatever other people are saying, it doesn't matter because I know my truth. I know my ancestors' truth and I know what a powerful continent Africa is, was, and always will be. What do you think that we can do as a society to make sure that children are seeing themselves represented in the media they consume outside of the home? That's a tough question, I think. Tough. But I, I try, like for me, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I wanted to do this and I enjoy doing this. If, if it goes great, great. If it doesn't go great, I would do it all over again. But I still think that um, for us to, to balance things off, we sort of have to take more ownership we could either do it ourselves. Um, if you see a gap, like um, Chibessa mentioned, you fill in that gap. But I'm hesitant to make people do that because as Black people, we already have, or people of African descent, we already have so much weight that we're carrying around with us. I don't want you to carry the weight of changing the brand of Africa on you as well. But I think that what we can do is if you see other, other people doing it, what maybe you don't have time to do, Take some time out to celebrate them, to support them, to share, not just with the African community, with all the communities. We need to carry ourselves um, forward and so that other people will do it too, because it's, it's not quite as easy to sell Afrocentric products as it is to sell Eurocentric products. And so we would need more um, of our community to embrace it and support it to make it successful. 100% agree with that. And I was actually thinking, because I mean, I just love your books. And I was thinking, this is a good opportunity for me to sell this to my kids' school, because they need to have these in the library. And if we, you can't create something, support and support and support. I can say that again, because if we show and put a spotlight on the amazing things that are going around, we can slowly change that narrative. I'm very re- reflective in that even before I started doing this, I wasn't as aware of all of the Afrocentric products as that were out there as I am today, because now I'm in the community and I'm supporting everybody. I'm like, we could do this. And before then... I was just a regular mom buying what I saw in front of me, just going about my rat race. I don't blame anyone. I guess with a podcast like this, if anyone happened to listen to it, maybe they can reflect on what they have done to support Afrocentric products. Spreading the word outside of our communities is so important because that's how we do influence and change the narrative. It's We need other We need all of our friends to be on board. We need our colleagues to be on board and to be sharing these resources with them is super important because that's when it will become the mainstream. 
and it won't just be a small corner of, um, you know, our Afrocentric communities. So growing up in the West, you often see negative stereotypes or stories that just depict Africa in a negative, negative light. How can we counter negative narratives on Africa through literature and more specifically through children's literature? You guys and your tough, tough questions. <laughs> I'm sure oh, you're going to take up on this one. <laughs> I think it's important to be deliberate about what we put out there. Um, we are literally building a brand um, and we need to be careful um, with our sources. I even have a, a story with my idiot book and I have fact pages on the back of my idiot book. And in my fact pages, I, I source from well-researched papers on idiot, the Oba, the culture of the Benin kingdom. And I thought it was fine. I, I published the book. And when I sent it to my dad, who is, he's been in, he's very into the culture. He looked at one line of that, of my fact page, which said that the Abba, though he currently is in, still in place in the kingdom of Benin as a figurehead, he no longer rules the people. That I got from a well-researched paper but it had a negative connotation to it. And my dad did not appreciate that. So it is very careful as, you have to be very careful as a creative who is putting things out there that you are um, representing the culture in the way that they want to be represented. Also, and I realized the other day that it took hundreds of years to give the world the perception of Africa that it has today. And it's not gonna, changing that perception is not going to happen overnight. We can only push it one step at a time, one needle at a time. We're pushing the needle. And that's what I am trying to do. Even with my own thoughts and my own biases, I'm constantly questioning them because people worked really hard to build the current brand that Africa has. So it's, uh, we have to be very careful even with what we are doing. Erring on the side of caution, especially the sources that we use, because history <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. often not written in the view of the people. For example, colonial history, we don't tend to get a lot of that from those who are Recently, I, I don't know how to phrase this, but I recently realized that it's not that it was written by the winners, it's just that it's just their version that was kept. Exactly. Right? So we had our version of our history, which was systematically eradicated. So we only have one version of the truth, which we all know what, what that looks like. Yeah, exactly. And I think hearing the oral histories and having that passed down from generations is so important too. So you know, thank you for sharing that. I wanted to reflect back on your journey as a mother. You mentioned you've got two little ones and we wanted to kind of end this discussion to think about motherhood and black motherhood specifically. Um, so looking at a positive and challenge and a sprinkle of advice on black motherhood, what's a positive aspect of black motherhood that you would want to share with the world? Positive aspect of black motherhood that I would want to share with the world. Where do I start? Like being a black mother is extremely it's extremely beautiful it's an extremely beautiful experience um, I remember especially I have girls and I remember when I had my two girls I said oh my god two girls who's going to be doing all that hair but now um, that is because I'm extremely busy doing their hair 
is the highlight of my weekend. I'm, I love it. I love doing their hair. I love um, dressing them. I love teaching them about who they are. I love their spontaneity, the joy that they bring to me. My kids are my world. They're the reason that I am doing what I am doing right now. They're the reason you have these books to read. Um, I don't know what about that is particularly Black, but I do love teaching them about what it is to be Black. I, oh, yes. And I, <laughs> yeah, and I teach them. I'm like, no, you don't, That there's too much meat on that bone. No, 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 no. That's not the way we eat chicken. <laughs> Go find so there's some meat there. You can go go digging for some more meat. <laughs> That's not the way we eat chicken. I still get told off because I don't eat chicken properly. It's a it's a major <laughs> issue in our family. I there's meat on my bones. It's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing at that. That is definitely definitely something that happens in almost all black family tables on the dinner table. You're looking at the chicken. You're like, no, you got to go in there, no, grab no, no. the meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that um so just moving on on that what would you say is a challenge that you faced as a as a black mother in your motherhood journey I think the challenge is being surrounded by the Eurocentric ideals and I don't know where they got it from because I know I grew up when I I did grow up in Benin and I spent some time in England and when I was in in Nigeria, in Benin City, I had no clue what it meant to be Black or to be African. I was just a kid. And um, when I was nine, I went to England. And I was, I remember very clearly knowing that I was now Black. And not only was I Black, I was inferior. And so with my kids, they didn't have the benefit of growing up in a predominantly African or predominantly Black neighborhood. I really was trying to ensure that they didn't have, they didn't receive that message. I don't know where I got that message from. I really worked hard to ensure that they did not receive the message that they were inferior because they were Black without quite telling them that you are Black, this is what happens to Black people, just keeping it fun, but still letting them know that you do not need to look like so, 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 and so, and your hair doesn't need to be like this for you to feel proud of who you are. And so I think that was a challenge for me. Um, but I think that, I do think that we've come to a point where my kids are extremely proud of their not only Black, but African heritage. They're constantly talking about it. Even at home, like I mentioned, we have preconceived biases. We ha I have aunties where my kids are not finishing their food who say things like, oh, there are kids in Africa who don't have, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the way we talk about Africa in this, in this home. In our home, Africa is equivalent of Jamaica. We go to Africa for, for vacation. It's a fun place. It's not a place to depict as you are so lucky that you are not there. Um, so there are lots of things that I did to ensure that my kids have a sense of pride in who they are and where they come from. And that was challenging, but I think we are on the right track. It's, it's, I think it's powerful to, to embed that message right from the time when they're young to understand that, you know, this is where you come from and it's a beautiful place. It's a place that, you know, there is also so much richness, so much, so much that you can learn from as an individual as well. And you can see that within your books, you can also see that when they go on holiday and we miss an opportunity to sell the true African story by really focusing 
on the one thing that is just negative. And it's such a little bit of Africa, uh, if you look at it. And yes, there is some negative, but it's not even 50%, I would say. There's so much richness, and I, I really appreciate that response. Yeah, I think it's so important to like have that narrative of Africa is not inferior to anyone. Your blackness is not inferior to any other skin color. And children have to hear that message and have to hear that message from the home, but also from people around them. I think it's really, it's a really important message to get out there. Um, and to end, what piece of advice do you wish someone had given you at the beginning of your black motherhood journey? And what advice would you want to share with others? I think um, the advice that I wish, I think so, they gave it to me, but I didn't listen. I would say <laughs> the advice that I wish I had listened to and paid attention to is to enjoy it, to pause and cherish every moment and don't be waiting for the next milestone. Constantly, I remember constantly waiting. Oh, when are they going to sleep through the night? Oh, when are they going to walk? Oh, when are they going to leave me alone? When are they going to do it? was just, milestone after milestone and now I look back at the pictures and I'm like wow why was I rushing why didn't I just pause why should have just cherished it um, that's what I would tell um, the black mothers out there um, to just enjoy it motherhood is such a gift and it's one that flies by way 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 too quickly and the the best that we could do is enjoy it. I told, I, I really agree with that because I remember when I had my first one, I was very similar. I was kind of like, oh, she's not falling. Now she's going to stand and that sort of thing. But I've just had my second and I am in no rush. I don't even I don't even care when she's going to, you know, start standing <laughs> up. I'm like, it's fine. I mean, let's just enjoy it. And it's and because she was born in the epidemic it's been time where we've literally slowed down life and very much reflective so totally totally agree enjoy your motherhood so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today we've really really humbled and appreciate your presence today and just to finish off if people would like to find your work and find learn more about you order your books because I think they're brilliant and everyone should go ahead and do that where can they find you you can find me on our-ancestries.com. I have two books out currently, one on Queen Edia and one on Queen Ishinga of Ndogo. Um, two books on the way. And for each book, I have workbooks, um, activity books with coloring pages, puzzles, and I have teacher lesson plans. And I have in-depth comprehensive um, lesson units that could be used in schools to celebrate our black history our african history across the globe the Thank list you. is endless of your achievements honestly i was just hearing you roll up and i was like you know what this is amazing people need to get on the website and download <laughs> by and just support because you're doing such amazing work thank you so much thank you for having me guys this has been such a pleasure if anything that we've discussed during this session resonates with you, feel free to get in touch with your comments, questions, or just to say hello at hello at blackmotherhood.co.uk. Bye. Bye. Precious love.
This has been Black Motherhood with Chanju and Chibesa. The music is composed by Wangani and Lisana Mwanza with added vocals by Baby Eloise. Thanks for listening.